Friends, we're in Psalm 1 today, so I want you to grab a Bible or grab your, grab your device. The Psalms are really Israel's hymn book. They are, in fact, a collection of songs. That's what the word actually means. Psalm is song. So these are actually songs. There's 150 of them. Uh, just a little, uh, little helpful tip, a uh, little pro tip. If you open up your Bible, you've got a physical Bible, and you open up in the middle, you're going to find your way to the Psalms. 150, largest book in the Bible, collection of songs, right smack bang in the middle of your Bible. We're looking at the very first Psalm today, Psalm number one. But before we do that, uh, I want to ask you a fairly profound question. I'm asking you sort of a deep question to kick things off today. I want you to think about it. I want, you to, I want to know, friend, are you, are you happy? I mean, really, I mean, really, I mean, really, are you happy? I don't just mean, have you had a good week, right? I don't need to know your answers quite so quick, because I'm going to challenge you on some of your answers today, I hope. But think about it. Are you really deeply, profoundly content? I mean, are you, are you really, truly content deep down, down in your bowl, deep down in your bowels, in your bones? You feel blessed, really. I want to challenge a little bit about what our notion of happiness is this morning. You see, in generations past, throughout most of history, most tribes, most cultures, including our own, put a lot of stock in, in ancient wisdom, the wisdom of their elders, uh, that they knew that wisdom was accumulated down through the generations, down through the ages. So they, they venerated the wisdom that was handed down to them from their elders down through the centuries and and down through the, the millennia. But our, our modern age these days is, is, one of the characteristics of our modern days is, is a bit of a scorn, a bit of a, a sanctimonious looking down our nose somewhat arrogantly at, at the people of the past, the generations that have gone before. We sort of look down our nose and sneer at those poor benighted souls. What would they know? We're far more enlightened than they are. We ask ourselves, what, what really would... What really would, would, would they know? Um, our modern age is characterized by the enlightenment values and scientific inquiry and empiricism. It's, it's, it's a mindset that says, well, human reason, human knowledge, human intellect and discovery can solve our problems. Our own cleverness can make us happy. Uh, We've been told this now for generations, for a couple of hundred years, really, since the, since the Enlightenment, despite the fact that a lot of the, the scientific method, for example, comes down to us from, from Christian scientists like Isaac Newton or, or Francis Bacon. But I, I, I want to, and I do want to acknowledge that their work has made life a lot easier for us. I, I wouldn't want to discount for a second that the advances we've made in modern technology. We should be very, very thankful for the advances we've made in, in, in medical technology, for all these labour-saving devices that we have. Uh, we are indeed blessed to live in a time and a place where we have access to wonderful information. We have access to international travel. These things are, are wonderful things. We've been blessed our life expectancy has increased. Our, our comfort in the years here on earth has been dramatically increased. But despite all of that, despite all of those wonderful advances that we should indeed be thankful for, I, I want to ask, 
has our, our modern mindset, has our modern life actually made us any truly happier? I mean, are we really any happier, any more content than generations past? Despite all the hardships that they inevitably had to deal with, remembering most cultures, most tribes, of, for most of history, life has been fairly brutal and violent and, and relatively short. But despite all of that, are we actually any happier than, than they were? The Bible has told us that what makes us truly happy or, or content is, actually comes from a source much deeper than our material blessings, much deeper than our own physical well-being. And Psalm 1 is a wonderful example. It is really a summation psalm for the whole of the book of Psalms, and in some ways almost a summation for the entire scriptures. Let's have a look at Psalm one, it's a bit of a gatekeeper book, as I said. Let's have a look at that. We're really going to concentrate really on just the, these first few verses with this magnificent image of a tree that is blessed. So open it up if you've got it in front of you. Let's have a look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Friends, let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning and we ask that you might make yourselves known to us. We pray that you might, we might see you afresh, come alive to us, we pray through this scripture, Father. We pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said... Amen. The first profound truth here from Psalm 1 is that happiness is indeed possible. Happiness is possible. Now, this is a fairly profound truth. Some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, of course, happiness is possible, Pete. If that's you, I think it does reveal a little bit about yourself. If you automatically thought, well, yeah, of course, that's not terribly profound, that happiness is possible, that says a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your mind, a little bit of a, a litmus test about you, I, I think. See, unless you had an unusually harsh childhood, almost all of us start out in life thinking that yet happiness is indeed the default state of humans. That happiness is not just possible, it's actually normal, it's actually natural, it's how we are, it's just how human beings exist. We're, we're happy. If you had a, a relatively happy childhood, that is, that is what you just assume to be the case. If you have the thought, well, happiness is possible, Peter, even as a growing up, and if people aren't happy, well, it's simply probably their own fault. They've messed up somewhere along the line. If they can just get their stuff together then, and fix up what they've messed up, then, then they'd be fine. I think most of us, however, get to a point where we discover eventually that that isn't necessarily true. It's not necessarily true that happiness can 
be engineered somehow, that we can, there's a formula for it. Most of us understand that, in fact, in fact, some of the most gifted, successful people aren't actually that happy. They are, in fact, some of the most cynical people you'll, you'll run into. We realise that happiness isn't automatic. Any great form of art, when you think about it, knows this. The great artists grasp this, don't they? Be it film or, or the fine arts or, or literature. We all love a good Disney movie with a happy ending, don't we? But the real great works of art actually tackle the hard stuff, don't they? I mean, don't get me wrong. I've watched a lot of Marvel movies, raising my boys over the last 10, 15 years. And I love them. They're great. But I'm wanting a real story. I, I long for some grit in my storytelling. I want to know how real life looks like. I want a, a mirror that holds up how life really is. Because we actually understand, I think most of us, we come to a point, we mature and we realise that life involves some struggle. We understand that, in fact, beauty can be found even in the midst of struggle and and even, even tragedy, we understand that some of these tough movies, these hard slog movies, can actually be beautiful, powerful mirrors of how life truly is. So you can have this sort of Pollyanna-ish, everything is awesome uh, sort of attitude. Uh, so I'm sure some of you are familiar with the phrase, everything is awesome, everything is cool when you're part of a team, from the, from the, Lego, from the Lego movie. Or you can have that that hard-bitten sort of cynical extreme, the other extreme, um, that I've heard many people say, uh, life's a bitch and then you die. Now, to give those people their credit, I think, let's, let's give those cynics a little bit of credit. They've actually stopped and they've thought things through. They actually realise the seeming irrelevance of life, the seeming futility of this life. Most of us, I think, are somewhere in the middle, probably migrating from one end to the other until such time as life reaches up and grabs us and surprises us and makes us realise just how fragile this life truly is. I spent a lot of time sitting just up here in the cafe and, and uh, just this week a person got, got skittled out here and I was chatting to the person who was with me. He said, you know, life's fragile. These bodies, these bodies break down. They're really easily broken out on the road here in Bondi Junction on any other number of, of ways. So there's two extremes, I think. But I think I want to point out a, a, a third path to you that, that is, in fact, I think, the path that Psalm 1 talks about. It is, in fact, the biblical model that, that happiness is indeed possible, the radical concept, but that we actually really need to know where to find it. Because the second thing that those inquiring minds ask is that if happiness is indeed possible, why is there seemingly so little of it in our modern age? People, we, you've all heard the statistics, mental health dramas and, and problems are, are on the rise. We, we're not really a happier people at all. So, so what's gone wrong? Where have we, where have we gone wrong? What's, what's happening? Well, the Bible tells us, this, this psalm, this song tells us that when we go looking for happiness in the temporal things of this world, in the shallow things of this world, it's going to slip through our fingers. 
It tells us that true happiness, true contentedness, true blessedness is found only in the things of God by putting our roots deep down into things that are beyond this world, that are beyond mere circumstances. The beautiful image that this psalm uses, of course, is that of this this wonderful tree that is planted by streams and therefore it has access to unyielding, unending source of life-giving water that it yields its fruit in season and that its leaf doesn't wither. What I love about this image is that it it talks about season. This this tree isn't always fruitful. It doesn't have a Pollyanna, everything is awesome, happy, happy, joy, joy kind of attitude. It it realises that there is seasons of dryness. It's honest about winter coming along. It realises there'll be times of dryness and even perhaps times of drought. The tree isn't always going to look fabulous. It's not always going to be, to be fruitful. And yet this tree, nevertheless, being tr- planted by streams of, of living water, has a vitality about it, even, even in the hard times, even even in the dry times. It points us to the really big mistake I think we make in trying to grab hold of of happiness in our life. When we look to the externals to bring us happiness, that is when it will slip through our fingers. We look to happenstance. It's where where we get the word happy from. It comes from the same root word of, of happenstance, things from hap. Things happen to be good for me, or good things happen to me, so I am then happy. If something good happens, then I'm happy. If something bad happens, then I'm not happy. I'm sad or or I'm angry. This psalm tells us that happiness isn't found by what happens to you, but by who you are. There's a a couplet that says, uh, Two men looked out through prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. It's a way of pointing out that these two men had identical circumstances, both same prison, same cell, same prison bars, same view out to the outside world, but one saw mud and one saw stars. Their, their source of happiness and contentedness, it came from deep within inside that man. That's why the Bible talks about being a new birth, a new creation, something new has come. This tree and this psalm will experience hard times and and dry times. It won't always be bearing fruit, yet its leaf never withers. There's a vitality there despite the season. There's life being exhibited despite the circumstances. Happiness is not dependent on good times coming its way. It's an evergreen tree, this one, that it sent its roots down deeper into something deeper than than happenstance, than than just circumstance. When tragedies come, you don't have to smile and put on a mask and say, everything's awesome, everything is happy. We do sometimes, let's be honest in the church, come across that. We do sometimes perhaps feel that pressure to put on this mask, say, yeah, everything's good, God is good, and he is indeed good, but I, I think we need to be honest and say sometimes life is tough, isn't it? Because it's been a sad season for us here in our church just recently. It's been, it's, it's tough. And sometimes I think we need to admit that. In fact, I think it's healthy. 
I think it's quite unhealthy to not do so. In fact, I think it can even be manipulative. It can be dangerous to suggest that the hard times, the times of drought won't come. So happiness shouldn't be based on our mere circumstances. It's not about controlling our environment, but by controlling your allegiances. Let me say that again. Happiness, blessedness, contentedness won't be found in controlling our environment, but by controlling your ultimate allegiances. So this text teaches that happiness, and indeed possible, it is indeed to be found, but not in our, not in our circumstances. Happiness can't be found directly. Happiness is only ever a byproduct of seeking out something deeper than happiness itself. It's, remember, whenever we talk in the Bible, Jesus says, you know, blessed is the one who hunger and thirsts after righteousness. If you seek after righteousness, you'll be blessed, you'll receive happiness. If you simply aim for happiness, you're going to miss out on both. You're going to get neither of those things. A person, ironically, who is truly happy, blessed, content, is actually the person that has stopped trying so hard to be happy. It's the person who sat down and asked, what really is the source of my contentedness? What really is the source of life for me? Where am I really drawing meaning from in life? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, says, don't worry about your life. Do not chase after those things, what you'll eat, what you will wear. Your Heavenly Father knows, he says, look, God knows that you need those things. But he says, first, seek after God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, the reason you're unhappy is because you made something other than me your trust, your source of hope, your source of security, your source of happiness, contentedness. Friends, as long as you've made happiness your highest priority, you're going to be in trouble, I think. So let me challenge you. Why is it that, I'm speaking to a largely church-going audience this morning, why is it even in the church, even we followers of Jesus sometimes still lie or cheat or steal? Can I, can I ask you to look deep within yourself this morning and and I said, why, why do I sometimes break my promises? I, I, I'm committed to godliness. I'm, I'm committed to his law. I, I, I read his law. I meditate on his, on his law. So, so why is it that sometimes we seem to carve out an exception? I think it's because we say to ourselves, well, yes, I believe in these godly concepts. I, I believe in being a person of integrity, uh, and I choose to live with them. But sometimes I need to make an exception. Well, why is that? I think it's... Perhaps because the, com the principle that we're ultimately committed to is, I've got to be happy. Oh, yes, yes, I'll tell the truth unless it means it's going to cost me my job because if I lose my job, then I won't be happy. Oh, yes, I'll be a person of integrity unless it's going to cost me my boyfriend and I don't want that because my boyfriend makes me happy. We say we'll, we'll obey God, but the non-negotiable is ultimately my own happiness. Friend, you'll never find true lasting happiness that way. It says if you seek after it, it will evade you, it will escape you. Even good stuff, even really healthy, life-giving stuff, if good stuff becomes God's stuff, you're in trouble. 
you make your marriage your God, if you seek after your marriage to ultimately make you happy or good stuff, family or career, anything other than God himself is going to fail to live up to the weight of expectation that you put on it. Even if you're coming to God himself in order to make you happy. Now think about this, even in the times we come to God expecting him to make us happy, we're not actually coming to God at all, actually. We're actually just coming to God as an avenue, as a means, as a tool so that I can get happiness. If you're coming to God so that in order to, to, to be happy, I'm going to try out this Christianity thing, I'm going to try out this church thing, I'm going to try out this Jesus thing because uh, I, I want to be happy, then you're actually coming to a butler, aren't you? You're using God as a cosmic vending machine. You're actually just using God. You're using him as a means to an end, and that end is ultimately perhaps just your own happiness. Friend, God doesn't owe you anything. He created you. He owns you. You can't manipulate the creator of the universe. So stop trying to use God. So ask yourself, is that me? Have I been using God simply as a tool, as a vehicle to my own ultimate God, which is actually my own, my own happiness? We see, I think, our true loyalties when those dry seasons come. I think we do see people's, where their true loyalties lie when those times of drought actually come. I went to church, I read my Bible, I did everything Pete said, and I still ended up un unhappy. We see where people's true priorities lie when they don't say, my number one priority is to serve God, and if he chooses to bless me, if happiness happens to happen, then that's a great bonus in life rather than saying, I'm coming to you, God, regardless. I'm coming to you, Lord, no matter what. Jesus seems to be saying, aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim at earth, you'll get neither. Happiness is a byproduct of seeking after God's will for your life first and foremost. So let me leave you with a couple of little words of, of application. Have a, look at the, uh, have a look at the verbs here. Happiness is actually, in some regards, a choice. You can, actually, you can actually choose to live it out, to apply it in your life. Have a look at the verbs. It starts off by saying um, what you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't, you shouldn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of, of mockers. These words are actually about where our allegiances lie in thought, in word and in deed. Where you sat in those days indicated where your allegiances lie. You sat with, with you in your station in life. You sat amongst those amongst whom you were, you were ranked. So it's actually talking about, well, where do you truly belong? Where do your true allegiances lie? And then it moves to positive language. This blessedness is found by delighting in the law of God, or meditating on God's good life-giving will for, for your life. So let me close before we gather around the communion table by asking, you know, what piper is playing your tune? What piper are you really dancing to? Who are what's really calling the tunes of your life? Who are what really owns you? What are the real, true allegiances in your life? The things that you listen to things that you walk in, the things that you sit in. And finally, look to Jesus Christ, the giver of 
living water, as we know. Think about Jesus too. He had a tremendous peace, didn't he? Jesus had a, a, perf- a, a wonderful joy through a relationship with his father. And yet, he was a man of sorrows, wasn't he? Jesus regularly struggled. He, he, he wept. Jesus wasn't always happy, happy, joy, joy. Jesus knew grief, but he was never in despair. He's God's word made flesh. All the law and the prophets find their fulfillment in Jesus, by making him your first love, the one in whom you delight, the one on whom you meditate day and night, the one in whom you send your roots deep down into, by making him your source of your true happiness, then you will find fruit in season. Your leaf will remain green even in the heat. You've got a resilience. A joy. You won't be tossed this way and back by the, by the winds that blow. You won't be an unreliable person, a manic person, always chasing after this and that, suffering the highs and the lows. You'll have a steadfastness. You'll have a dependability. Can I encourage you uh, to, uh, to look to Jesus Christ as your ultimate source of, of life? And as we celebrated yesterday on Flora's behalf, you can, you can know this, this deep joy. You can know this peace. You know this eternal peace, this eternal purpose and meaning in your life. You can know that through making Jesus your peace, that you have booked your place in a new heavens, in a new earth. That he's paid the price for all of your mess, all of your sin, all of your stuff-ups. Your slate has been wiped clean. It's a tremendous source of blessedness and of joy, of happiness, contentedness in this life. What a blessing we can look forward to. Can I invite you to book your spot by that stream of of living water today? You can be happy. Come and get it. Come to Jesus. It is possible if you don't look to the circumstances around you, but instead look to the giver of life himself as your eternal source of joy and peace. Friend, put your roots deep down into the streams of Jesus, our living water today. Come to him and live. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, Heavenly Father, we repent of all the times when we look to the things of this world as the source of our happiness, as the source of our joy, as the source of our strength, as our God's. Father, reveal them to us. Show them to us. Show to each of us the things deep within our heart that we really cling to in order to bring happiness and contentedness in our life. Give us the courage, we pray, to turn from them. Give us the courage to let them go and to look to you alone as the source of our joy. Help us to Send our roots deep down into you, Lord, knowing that it is in you alone where we find true, abundant resurrection life, in good times and in bad, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, in this life and the next, for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.